Hey friends, Ashton here and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful, one of our voices that we haven't had in a while. He's been on a number of times, but he's got a new book coming out. He's also made a little move recently and um, we started texting and said it's time we have his voice back at the table. AJ Sherrill, good friend of ours. You guys have known him. He's been on many times, uh, has recently made a move from Michigan to South Carolina. He's in Charleston watching the world go by this evening and um, said he would share some time with us. So AJ, welcome back. It's been too long. Hey man, so good to hear your voice again uh, and really glad to be back on this podcast. Well, you're one of our, uh, you're one of our, can we call you a village elder? Can we do that? Is that allowed? Um, well, what's funny is you and I have never actually met face to face, and I feel like I could probably tell you more than I could any shrink. Uh, so I don't know what that means, but I'm hey, happy to talk to you. We got it dialed in. Yeah, whatever it is, it's the it's we're like 2020 pen pals, whatever those used to be. Um, <laughs> so uh, where do we start? Uh, some we've got some new folks here probably that maybe haven't crossed paths with you and your work in the world. Um, why don't we start there when you introduce yourself, uh, where do you begin? Yeah, I think, um, well, I've lived all over the country. I I think the, you and I probably cross paths through some of my work in New York city Mm -hmm. and uh, I pastored there at a church in Chelsea on the West side of Manhattan city. I love, and, uh, we had a little girl. And decided we could raise her in Manhattan, but do we want to? And we felt like, no, we don't want to raise her in Manhattan uh, necessarily. So we took a call in Grand Rapids uh, at a church called Marsville Bible Church. And uh, it was just a riveting uh, opportunity for us to to grow in some new leadership ways. And anyway, so we were there four years. And when COVID hit, uh, Elena and I, my, my wife is named Elena. We got really slow, like I think a lot of people did. I mean, obviously, we weren't traveling. All my workshops across the country shut down because no one was flying. Um, local ministry, I, I teach at a church, so everything went online. And we just had more time than ever to just, like, be. Hmm. Uh, our seven-year-old did the homeschool thing, and, you know, that worked well for at least us. And uh, we just slowed down, and Elena was like, hey, I'm from the South. Our moms are in the South what if we prayed about going back south for our next long term? And lo and behold, all these uh, out of nowhere, just invitations started coming in that we did not solicit and was like, okay, uh, God, I guess we're listening. And we ended up two weeks ago moving to Charleston, South Carolina, where I now pastor a church called St. Peter's Church in Mount Pleasant, which is just outside the city. And uh, yeah, it's humid here, but we are loving it. And I will take humid, summer, sticky <laughs> South Carolina over like gray sky February yeah. of the Midwest any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention the food scene is killer. But the Midwest, for all you know, your Midwest listeners, it is a wonderful place. Some of those people there are just salt of the earth, and uh, you could find some good things there too. Yeah. Yeah, up north. When I worked in Michigan for the summer, everyone everyone's like, "Yeah, we're going up north," and I don't think anyone knows where up north is. 
Oh, my word. Um, but if you do, then you do, because it <laughs> might as well be the Caribbean for those two months of the year. It's absolutely, I mean, Harbor Springs, Traverse City, Holland. I mean, these little towns on Lake Michigan are just the best kept secret of North America. Yeah. Well, every Friday, everyone went up north, and but everyone went somewhere different up north. And it was, to my yeah. little southern redneck soul, that was, it was a bit confusing. Um, yeah, it's quite special. Um, but I need to go up there. I got a buddy in Holland. I need to go see him. Um, mm. All right. Well, so you've uh, made the move, just kind of getting settled in, I guess. You've only been there a couple weeks. No, but I got my rockers on my porch, and that's really uh, the only piece of furniture in the South you need. That's all you need. You have moved in. A in the evening, some <laughs> bourbon. You're in a good spot. Oh, I love it. Uh, well, maybe one of these days, if we do meet, I can be on that porch with you. A couple rocking chairs. Um, we could watch the world go by. Well, we'll do a porch edition of your podcast. Oh, that would be perfect. Podcast from the porch. Yes. Stogies with AJ Cheryl. Um, deep thoughts. Um, I love it. I love it. Probably just thoughts. Thoughts. <laughs> thanks for the, thanks for the roundup. So, um, you've got a new book coming out. You've been teaching workshops and I'm just watching from afar now for the last few years, quite a bit, uh, around the world, I think, uh, with regards to the Enneagram, it's kind of been in vogue now for the last few years, but you're, you're bringing an angle at it that I think is necessary, um, to kind of go, Hey, uh, we can, we can have cocktail speak all we want about this tool, but what about transformation? What about not just um, boasting in a number, but what about actually excavating to get to your essence and identity? Um, that's really what I took from the book. Don't know if that's what your goal was, but talk to me about the Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. Why, why this book now in the midst of all the Enneagram talk that's out there? Yeah, it's actually uh, an addition to the work I did a long time ago uh, during my doctorate. I did a, a work called The Enneagram in the Way of Jesus, uh, Baker bought the rights to that, and I expanded it for this book, Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. So um, in some ways, uh, I'm sort of tired of the Enneagram, <laughs> if you want to know the truth. I don't think I'm supposed to say that on the podcast. I think you put it in the book, like you hate the Enneagram. I think that <laughs> I was do. a sentence. Yes. <laughs> I think it might be the first sentence, because it's become, as you said, an end for people. And so it's like, People are either over the trend or they think it's Satan or they replaced, you know, something deeper with the Enneagram and they see it as an end. And, and the Enneagram for me has always been a tool. That's all it is. It's just a means to a greater end, which is our own formation. So like if you don't work your number, you're basically wasting your time. Mm. And um, you can really hurt a lot of people, including yourself, with just using it as a parlor trick and putting people in boxes and X, Y, Z. So that's my biggest thing is like, Hey, um, like I remember studying with Suzanne Stabile before she and Ian wrote their seminal book. And I ran up to her after a session. I said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, Suzanne, like who is doing spiritual formation work on this? Like, what do you do after you find out your number? Is that it? And she was like, to my knowledge, no one, um, well, that's not necessarily true because any wisdom of the Enneagram had been out by then, although that wasn't, like a distinctive mm. Christian work. And I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I, I wanted something for the church because I think the church is really malformed, um, myself included. 
and we've we've got to present a God that is true and real in the world, and that God is extremely loving and full of grace and truth and beauty and all the things you talk about in this podcast. And that means, like, I got some work to do if I'm going to present that God to the world. And so the Enneagram, I think, is a tool to help us get there of naming some things that sort of like to stay under the rug. Absolutely. You, and, you know, I'm a metaphor guy, so anytime I get a metaphor, I need to run with it somewhere. I'm, like, fumbling, fumbling through the book right now. You wrote, and I'm going to I'm looking for the line sentence, but I can't find it. Something along the lines of, "This is like the river. Uh, the it's the river into the great ocean. It's 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 a thoroughfare. It's not just a cul-de-sac." It was. Am I missing mm-hmm. that? I think you said something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. The cul-de-sac. I I use that a lot. Like if if it's a dead end of like you got your number, you're good. Let's move on. Then you fail to really understand what the original intent of the enneagram is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess, I mean, for those of us that have been now studying with this tool for many years, um, for you walk with me on this idea of, um, really getting down to the roots of identity. I want to talk about the tree figure. I think, I think if we could run with that metaphor for this conversation, that would probably be my favorite way to talk about the Enneagram. Um, you talk about identity being received, that we don't achieve it, and that what the Enneagram can do is help you experience more of that. And there was a sentence in here. Where is it? I loved it. It was like God wanted to know. Oh, yeah. You were made to remind God of God. Killer sentence, mm-hmm. by the way. Thank you. A high five through the microphone. Um, talk to me about experiencing more of this Imago Day, experiencing who we are, in God, who God is in us. Should we go with yeah, the tree so figure? Where, where do we start? Yeah, let's, that's chapter one on identity. I wanted to start my book sort of backing out a little bit because people want to dive right into typology and figure out what their number is. I think that's not a bad thing, but I think we need to start a little bit more macro. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is that um, a lot of people are mistaking their personality for their identity. Mm-hmm. And so they'll use phrases like, I'm a three, or I'm an eight, or I'm a six. I'm not opposed to that three if it means like I present this way. I think it can get kind of slippery because people think, well, that's my identity. My identity is my threeness or my fourness mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, I, I would say that you're not a number that you present a number, but you are not to reduce yourself, to totalize yourself to a number one through nine is such a reduction of your humanity. Mm. And, and so your identity is deeper than your personality. Your personality is just a strategy. Your personality is, you know, one of those nine types and that's just a strategy. And so how do we disempower our personality to not um, put us in boxes and, make us feel like that's all we are. That's why a lot of people, I think, feel shame when they discover the shadow side of their two-ness or their six-ness or their seven-ness or whatever, because they, 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 real, they think that that's who they are. Hmm. And that's really crushing for the soul to think, oh, I'm a two and that's really embarrassing. But if it's just a strategy and it's not your identity, if personality is just a strategy, then you can actually laugh at it, look at it, <laughs> and wonder about changing it, wonder about not changing it from number to number, but but growing within that type. Yep. And and your identity is not achieved, it's received, and you are beloved. You are a beloved child of God. And as I tell my daughter every night, 
I love you that I love you that I love you. There's nothing you can do to make you love me love you anymore or make you love me, me love you any less. And um, my daughter gets tired of hearing that from me, but it's because we need to hear that from God. And I think that's what God is constantly saying. Like, AJ, you're not a three. You're, you're my beloved. Mm. So act like it. Mm. Know that you can look at hard parts of your personality and not um, be, not be crushed down because, because we can do something about that. We can grow and heal. Um, but nothing's going to change the fact that I love you. And that's our identity. And that's where we have to start with, with the Enneagram, yes. in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Talk to me about personality being the strategy for which yeah. we thrive and cope. I think that I, I think that gut punch that the Enneagram brings a lot of us is that that aha, that sentence right there, that yeah. we concocted this personality to both thrive and cope. Talk to me about that. Yeah, the world's beautiful and it's broken, and you are part of the world, so you are beautiful and you are broken. Um. So, you know, there's a few schools of thought out there like, hey, was I born with this number? Did I develop this number? I think the answer is yes. When you think about your personality, you know, so if the identity, let's go back for a second, is the root system of your life. That's what is what it is, what it is, because God said it is, not because you can do anything about that. The personality then using the tree is, is the stem that comes out of that root system. And that's what begins to present to the world. You obviously can't see the root system in someone else's life, but you begin to see their personality with when you interact with them. So, um, you know, I think, I think that we are genetically predisposed to be a couple of types through our coding. And it is through our life experience that it gets solidified uh, through adolescence and teenage years. Mm -hmm. So where by the time you're about 20, you're probably presenting a pure form of your personality. You've got enough life experience behind you. Um, that you're, you're typically solidifying, you know, you're presenting exactly sort of who you are in that moment. But those life experiences are massive because what happens is, you know, if you experience trauma as a child, well, you've got to divide, you've, you subconsciously, I mean, your body, your brain is amazing. Your mind will develop strategies to avoid that, mm. you know, and that's why we see things like fight and flight yeah. um, because those are strategies of navigating life's complicated world. And so that is where personality really shows up and, you know, behavioral theory and all the motives that we have. So much of what we do is subconsciously hardwired into us to sort of survive and thrive in this world. And uh, I think, you know, we are so much more complicated than we realize. Uh, and that's where personality really comes out and where we begin to solidify into one of those nine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you take the metaphor even further, beginning with identities uh, identity being the root system, personality, the limbs uh, and the stems, character, fruits, and gifts being the limbs and leaves. Talk to me um, about how the Enneagram can help us, I guess, hopefully push us towards more of the fruits of the Spirit on these limbs and leaves yeah. that we're hoping to produce with our lives. Yeah, well, I mean, eventually your personality bears fruit in the world, good or bad. Mm -hmm. Like how you show up yeah. and whether you bring life to a room or steal it. Mm -hmm. Um, whether you use words of, of consolation or if you use words of destruction, um, that shapes, those, that's the fruit of your life is how you show up in these rooms and, and what, whether you gain friendships and uh, create meaning um, or whether you do the opposite. So out of your personality, particularly when you're in unhealth, the fruit of your life, the, the leaf system, 
uh, it can be green and, and full of fruit or it can be brown and, and full of death. Um, and so a lot of that has to come to bear on how you seek to be transformed within your personality. I think that's massive. Today I was at the DMV, which <laughs> I, I don't know. We, call, we all have testimonies about being at the DMV. I don't know. I've never heard anyone say, oh, I get to go to the DMV today. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. And I'm sure they experience a lot of, of stuff from the general public. And they also, um, I've never been to the DMV where I didn't feel condescended and talked down to. <laughs> and the, the person I experienced today was just so mean to me for no reason other than I think I was just there and she was probably tired and has been through a lot, but just thought her personality is being shaped through this work at the drive, the, this, this DMV. Um, and how I respond in this moment says a lot about my personality and whether I'm in health or unhealth. Yeah. You know, am I going to allow her to determine how I show up here or do I know who I am and I don't need her to, to validate my being. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, that's the weeds. You and I have a tendency to, <laughs> to go into trails. So I'll stop there just so we don't get down a rabbit hole that is like, how do we get here? Well, and I can't, I think what you were leading to kind of was a place that I wanted to chat through. Um, when one of these sentences you were talking about identity and personality you can then develop integrity of character and various gifts. And you write this, and I love this, human beings attempt to compensate when we sense that our identities are unsettled. Yeah. Is, is personality that place where that over or under compensation happens whenever we aren't settled at this conversation of identity? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because we're insecure to our bones. And so we are mm-hmm. trying to fill the gap, if you will. Uh, for, for me and my threeness, I try to fill the gap with achievement and performance. And what am I doing? I, I, I'm A, trying to convince myself that I'm worthy and, mm-hmm. and lovable, but I'm also trying to convince you, Ashlyn, Ashton, that you should like me. Mm-hmm. And that's a very manipulative way of being. That's not a pure form of friendship. I'm not showing up being myself and being... Um, sort of settled to where I can receive you for who you are. I'm trying to control the way you see me and feel about me uh, by compensating for my lack of identity. Hmm. Hmm. So <clears throat> I'm a three as well, by the way. Um, what role does surrender play in formation with the Enneagram? <sighs> does, d- does the Enneagram uh, obnoxiously introduce <laughs> where surrender and letting go is going to be necessary in order for us to mm. walk in love and joy and peace and patience, or I just, I want to hear your insight on surrender and the tool that is the Enneagram. Well, I remember Richard Rohr saying to me eight years ago, you know, cause, cause I had talked to him. He's who I first learned it from and was yeah. like, you know, Hey, I've taken the test and we've talked about this for a while. I think there's like two or three I really resonate with. And I was like, how do you know? Like for sure. Cause <laughs> I hear tales of people mistyping for years and like, Oh my goodness, for all my life, I thought I was this, but I was that. Um, and he said to me, AJ, it's the one that brings you the greatest amount of humiliation. Hmm. And I was like, oh, gosh, that sucks. <laughs> um, but it's true. And for those that are willing to have self-confrontation as one of their values in life, to confront themselves and to say, I need to name this and, and, and call it what it is. It, 
there is a sense of um, if you're not willing to to experience that humiliation, um, I mean, that's a form of a kind of surrender to it of like, mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to be willing to face truth, both good and hard truth about me. Um, if I truly want to be free and, and, um, create good in the world, because I just, I, I am so aware right now, especially in the racial moment that we're in of all the ways that we biasly or subconsciously show up, um, that just creates wounds that we're not even aware of, you know, that we have like, uh, maybe we don't have an intent of this sort of fruit in life that can be hurtful for others, but our impact nonetheless can Mm -hmm. be really damaging. Mm -hmm. So I think for someone to be willing to do this work, like you gotta, you gotta have some level of identity to where you're settled to where you can really look at personality without sort of like losing your soul and feeling totally shamed. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, I think surrender is easier because you know that you know that your identity is not up for negotiation. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, it's settled, and you can really poke around your personality because what's at stake is like the health of my marriage, the health of my my fatherness, the health of my culture at, at, at with the staff I lead. If I'm not healthy, like what am I transmitting hmm. into that culture? So all these things are connected. That's good. Talk to me about we can only change what we are able to name. Yeah, I like to take that back to the garden. I don't know if I did that in the book, but you know, one of the first assignments that humans have in the 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 myth narrative of of Genesis is, you know, they're they're instructed to name. You know, there's a lot of different amazing Jewish mystic theories around that. Hmm. I think the one I really like is this idea that when you name something you differentiate it from you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people, Hey, learn to name your mischief and your magic, like learning to, to be a, to, to be, to celebrate your victories, but also mourn your, your tragedies. When you name that, you realize it's not me. Like I'm not three. I'm not achiever. I'm, whatever the shadow side of that is. Once you name it, you can sort of hold it out as distinct from you. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer you. That's good. And when you do that, you can then bring that into the light to say, Hey God, I'm, I'm, I know this isn't me, but I do think this is how I'm showing up. And I'm not content for this to continue for the sake of the world, um, for the next X amount of years or whatever. I, I'm really desirous for this to, to grow and to transform. So here, I just want to name that. And if I don't name it, see, it stays in our subconscious. And we often have these really sophisticated strategies of burying it to where our strategies make us largely unaware that it's even happening. Happens a lot for AIDS, especially, Um, even though it's true for all the types. Um, And so if we're willing to fiercely name things and call them for what they are, uh, we can hold them out in front of us and, and we can work with that. If we're not, then we end up, you know, sort of being a mystery into ourselves most of our lives and, and we continue to live um, out of sort of subconscious ways of living uh, that often create a lot of mischief in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Well said. So when you teach on the iceberg metaphor of personality, uh, that you have behavior and motives, um, talk to me about what's going on under the surface level at that, that motive side of what the, how the Enneagram helps kind of diagnose some of those things of, Hey, that's why you're doing that. That's why you've spent a lifetime doing that. Um, 
I thought that was a great metaphor with the iceberg. Well, that's what I love about, that's why I got, I love disc. I love Myers-Briggs. I love strengths finders. A lot of these tools are awesome. What I found is that they tell me the what of my life without exactly telling me the why. Mm -hmm. And the Enneagram gets into the motive. So like, for example, imagine that iceberg and you can see what's above the surface. And those are behaviors. That's what the world can see. It's what you can see. It's how you showed up at the party last night. Everyone saw your personality on display, your behaviors, right? The reality though of that is that two people can behave the exact same way for very different reasons. First of all, it's why you never type someone else because you don't have access to their motives, much less often your own. So we don't type anybody because we don't know their motives. We can't see them. All we can see is their behavior. And that's what's underneath the surface of the water, which is the majority of personality. It's those things driving you. It's those things driving your patterns of life. Um, and so if we can get underneath even uh, the manifestation of your behavior into the cause of your behavior, which is your motives, then I think we can do a lot of great work there at a transformative level. And so we're talking about things like anger and lust and fear and hope. We start talking about the, the seven, eight, nine deadly sins. We can get into um, what's really driving us to continue to, to go back to the wells that we know leave us dry. Um, and, and we can really deal with transformation at a much deeper level than just behavioral modification. Beautiful. Well said. Um, and, and I love how you do go through the book and you do take a deep dive into each of these numbers, but you also kind of put a bow on it at the end that I think a lot of people haven't on kind of introducing the third way of the Enneagram of kind of saying, Hey, this thing won't be, it's not going to be the thing that makes your life perfect. Uh, but it can lead you to greater awareness of self, more transformation, a more redemptive presence, peaceful way of living. It's not going to be the thing that saves your marriage, but it can help. It's not going to be the thing that perfects the way you parent, but it can help dial you into that unique child that you've been entrusted. Talk, talk to me briefly on third way consciousness within the Enneagram. Yeah, I think it's to demystify it, um, that if you really stop at the cul-de-sac and, and now you figure out your number so you can move on, then fine. You know, the Enneagram is just, a, it's a tool for self-knowledge. And what you do with that knowledge is powerful. And so like for me, the, the biggest part of this whole book is to help people in spiritual practice. It's to say, okay, I have this sort of thing happening in my marriage. Are there certain practices I can engage to heal my insecurity there or to heal my infidelity there or to heal my whatever it could be in your marriage um, to, to heal my pride because I can't we can't get beyond this argument. Um, you know, spiritual practices, they they engage your neural pathways in such a way that can retrain them of finding new ways of being human. Mm. So, you know, you build proteins along your neural pathways and that's your default mode Well, you have to reprogram that in order for it to find a third way of, of doing something yeah. new. So if you find yourself in a familiar dance with your spouse of, you know, this topic comes up and it inevitably leads to an argument, well, you've got to find practices in your life to, to be more imaginative, exploratory, curious, empathetic. And there are practices in the great Christian tradition that, as it turns out, help us with that. Um, so like for me as a three, the contemplative tradition is huge. And I, you know, I would say our marriage has transformed because, um, I have 
largely named that I came from a household of anger. And um, because I want control, I want efficiency, I want to be right. And the contemplative tradition taught me a whole new way of being human, of slowing down, mm. of being curious, of asking questions. And that has saved me so many arguments in my marriage because um, my default patterns were not that. They were to share my truth and what I think and how you're wrong, and blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, people will ask me, you know, what's the key to a successful marriage or should I marry a certain type? And the key to all that is simply humility. Any type is good with another type if humility is present in both parties. And any marriage is going to collapse with any type where humility is not present with both parties. <laughs> so, yeah, so the Enneagram, you know, it's not going to fix your marriage, but it is going to expose you to the ways that you are driven to do what you do so that you can hold the mountain to the light, name those things and assign practices to your daily rhythm that are really going to help you develop different ways of being human and responding. Absolutely. You, you are one of the best voices uh, that I've found on consistently coming back to the great question of what does it mean to be human? And um, mm. you've done an amazing job of leading the congregations and the people that you've been entrusted over the years. And I'm super grateful to have had um, your voice uh, surround that great question. Um, tell me what's keeping you curious these days. Uh, Charleston, I'm following the smells and they are delicious. <laughs> there are, uh, there's, there's good food in every quadrant of this town. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, what's keeping me curious right now is is really paying attention to the longings of, of my bride and my, my seven-year-old. Um, I was, you know, leading a really great church in Michigan and to, to check in with my wife's longings about being back in the South and seeing our daughter thrive. It's just, it's just been awesome to, um, to, to care about lives beyond my own. Hmm. And uh, I think I'll find that I'm going to thrive here as well, but, um, they're my world. My, my ladies are my world. Uh, my seven year old and, and my wife, they, they are the real deal. So that keeps me curious and it's, it's a life worth living for me. It's beautiful. I love it. Um, well, man, I'm always grateful to, uh, share these little dialogues with you ever so often and um, you're welcome here anytime. So if anything new comes across your radar and you're curious and you want to chat about it, please keep us on speed dial. Um, for our listeners who may want to follow you and your work, where's the best place you would invite them to uh, follow what you're doing? Yeah, I post a lot on Instagram, which is AJ underscore Cheryl. And then, um, uh, ajsherrill.org is where I post a lot about the Enneagram and all that stuff. Um, but actually I have another book coming out next year. Uh, on, it's sort of like a, the same thing I did with the Enneagram I'm doing with quiet, which is a book that I think you and mm -hmm. I first talked about. Yeah. Um, it's a new concept called goats in the trees, which I'm just so pumped about writing about that metaphor and what it means, uh, in this world that we're living in that is crazy. You know, as the external noise has quieted a little bit during COVID, the internal noise, I think in each of us is ratcheting up and anxiety and fear and stress. So I want to tackle some of that stuff next year with, with a new book coming out. Beautiful. We will have you on the week of Goats in the Trees. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. Can't wait. All right, brother. Super grateful for you. Always uh, thankful for you coming on. And um, thanks for everything you do. 
Yeah, grace and peace. 